start with number 122. 122. It's the last three verses. May every man as it were all grant our love increase our joy, till we are brought to sing thy name, and the blessed of the land, and each soul here and I help for myself to speak well of thee and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We ask thy blessing in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your amen. I appreciate it. Amen is a word that means, let it be, what he does ask for, let it, let it be. So you've all prayed with me. Appreciate that. I'm going to pray again, though. And I'm going to read, it, read the prayer from my prayer book here. One of the nice things about prayer and about saying amen is that it's the voice of the assembly just like singing is the voice of the assembly and so the ladies sing they're not silent in the assembly they sing because it's the voice of the assembly it's not their voice same thing as for amen appreciate any of the sisters that said amen to that prayer. But I'm going to pray again now. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. 
I want us to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 to start with. I have in mind to consider some of the kings of Judah, but in view of this that I'm about to read. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 goes like this. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Now the rest of that verse is nice. But I want you to ignore it for now. Because if we get fixated on the last half of the verse, you will miss what I have in mind to bring before you today. There are uh, lots of translations, of course, and I'd like to refer to Mr. Kelly's translation in this because I think it really brings out the thought of this passage, and it would go something like this, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Set aside Christ as Lord in your hearts. Now there's lots of Christians out there. If you walked out in the street and said, are you a Christian? They'd say, yes. I go to church every Sunday or every year or whatever. I name their Christians. There are those who have accepted the Lord as a Savior. And I hope everybody in this room is in that category. And so they've accepted Christ as a Savior. That's better than just saying you're a Christian by name. But there's something beyond that. And that is this. You call him Lord. That means he's in charge of your life. He's your master. He's the one you're following. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Yeah, there's one more stage beyond calling him Lord. That's doing it in your heart. That's to give a heart, give your heart the desire to follow him. That's like what Daniel did. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself by the king's meat. He made it a commitment. He was going to follow his God no matter what. He might have to eat the this, this pulse, this poor food all his life, but he wasn't going to defile himself with the king's meat. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. And you know what? When he did that, a few of his friends said, you know what? I'm going to do the same thing. If you purpose in your heart to follow the Lord, it's going to affect other people. This is what we need. We need you and me. The purpose in our hearts. To set aside Christ as Lord in our hearts. The purpose in our hearts. Follow him. Regardless of whatever else. And then Ezra. He did the same thing. Tells us in the book of Ezra. 
that he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach Israel statutes and judgments. They prepared his heart. This uh, is something that requires a little bit of commitment, a little bit of effort. It doesn't necessarily just happen, you know. He prepared his heart. So I'd like for you to take a look at this verse that we just just read in First Peter. Put your eyeballs on that. And I hope that somebody in this room might today say, I am sanctifying Christ as Lord in my heart today. You know, there is a There's a passage in the book of Chronicles, and, and you don't need to turn to it. It's what David said to the to uh, people. He said, Who then is willing to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord? That's in First Chronicles 29 and verse 5. I, uh, as I say, I'd like you to look carefully at this passage that we've read in First Peter and think about it. And perhaps you will be one of those who will be willing this day to consecrate himself under the work of the Lord. I'll be turning to other passages as we go think about some of the kings. Some of them purposed in their heart, prepared their hearts. At least one of them that says he didn't do that. You don't need to follow along. You don't need to put, I put bookmarks in my Bible, places I want to turn, and I don't want to wait for you to find them. So it's perfectly fine with me if you close your Bibles and just listen. Or maybe you want to look at it. But uh, I'd rather have you listen than spend your whole time flipping through your pages. So we have the kings of Judah. There was Saul, the people's choice. Fine, tall, and handsome. People's choice. But David, he was the king after God's own heart, it says. And as we heard yesterday, he found favor with God. What a wonderful thing that would be if you could find favor with God today. If you could live your life in such a way that you would find favor with God. God has such ability to bless you and me. It's immeasurable. He has resources. He has ways that he works behind the scenes to bring about that which is good for you and for me. Well, if only we could get into the favor of God in our lives. What a difference it would make in, in every life if we could get into his favor like David did. So David, who is the warrior king? He had a son, named him Solomon, the king of peace. 
Solomon. The name is derived from the Hebrew word of peace. Shalom. Shalom, a man. Solomon. But uh, when he was, when Solomon was born, Nathan the prophet sends to David and he says, his name is Jedediah. Jedediah, beloved of the Lord is what Jedediah means. Oh, you know, you and I, each one, are beloved of the Lord. Not, perhaps all entered into it properly. And Solomon didn't. He kind of forgot it later in life. But <clears throat> he was blessed. He was blessed of the Lord with wisdom and riches and uh, glory. He was beloved of the Lord. It's just a little bit of a taste of what God could do for someone. I don't mean that you and I are going to get rich in this world. But it's a little bit of a, a taste of what God can do to bless somebody that he loves. He loved of the Lord. Like Daniel too. He was called beloved of the Lord. Oh man, greatly beloved. What a title. Wouldn't it be something we could be? called, oh man, greatly beloved. Well, what a great start that was for the people of Israel with uh, David and Solomon start off that kingdom. So then uh, Solomon has a son, called Rehoboam. And I want to read you something about Rehoboam. It's in Chronicles. And uh, it says in 2 Chronicles 12 and verse 4 that he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. So this is the king that I was speaking of that specifically says he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. So what happened in the reign of Rehoboam? Was he blessed like Solomon? We all know he wasn't. We can find that in the reign of Rehoboam, well, first of all, he presumed upon the goodness of God. We uh, can rest on the goodness of God. It's a wonderful thing. I don't believe we ought to ever presume upon it. Rehoboam thinks, all this stuff is coming to me, regardless of what I do. It's like the Christian who says, read about it in Romans 6, uh, I can sin. Regardless of what I do, it just brings more glory to God if, uh, if he saves me. That's the way Rehoboam was. He presumed that all this stuff would come to him by inheritance. Doesn't matter how he treats his people. 
he's going to play the tough guy. And so we find that there was division amongst the people of God, and the ten tribes revolted. And uh, Rehoboam decides, well, I'm going to fix that. I'll show them. I'm gathering my army, so we're going to go down and fight. And we're going to get them back. They are going to be under my thumb. But what we find, I'll read it out of First Kings 12, is that... Um, The, the word was sent to Rehoboam, Thus saith the Lord, ye shall not go up nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Return every man to his house, for this thing is from me. They hearkened therefore to the word of the Lord, and returned to depart according to the word of the Lord. The division was from God. I've been places where I've heard brother who was promoting and encouraging division amongst the people of God referred to this verse. This thing is from me. Why was it from me? If you want to find out why, you have to go back a chapter. And that in chapter 11 and verse 30, uh, 33, when it was told to Jeroboam that he would have part of the kingdom, the reason was given, because that they have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of Zidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moabites, and Milcom, the god of the children of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do that which is right in mine eyes, and to keep my statutes and my judgments, as did David his father. The reason it was from me is because idol worship had crept in amongst the people of God. It wasn't because God wanted his people to be separated. And Rehoboam allowed that. Solomon had allowed it even. And then, in fact, I say encouraged it because of his wives. So we have Rehoboam, the king of division, because of idol worship and because he had not prepared his heart to serve the Lord. Well, Rehoboam has Abijah, Abijah has Asa, and Asa has a different solution to this problem. What do we do about this division? We call them enemies. They're enemies. And it says that Asa and Baasha had war all their days. The people of God who are not with us are not our enemies. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we don't have war with them all our days. They're our brothers. Then we come to Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, and I like Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat had a heart for all the people of God. He lived at the same time as 
king of the northern, uh, uh, the northern kingdom had King Ahab. And the same time as Elijah. The northern kingdom was ungodly. Ahab was an ungodly man. He introduced idolatry officially into the people of God. Officially. It was idolatry all along, we can see. But officially, he made it the uh, worship of Baal in the northern kingdom. Thanks to his evil wife, Jezebel, from Sidon. And uh, she brought the idolatry with him. But Jehoshaphat did love all the people of God, and I like that about him. But you know what? He did it. He made mistakes. Rehoboam thought he could force the unity. Asa thought he could fight a, he, he called the, uh, called the pe people that weren't with him enemies. Jehoshaphat, though, made compromises in order to make a fake unity. Somewhat, we might say, like amalgamation. And so Jehoshaphat, he goes with Ahab to battle. And he, he says to Ahab, I am as you are. My people are as your people. My horses are as your horses. And he makes the unequal yoke in doing battle with Ahab, and it almost cost him his life. It almost cost him his life. He was, Ahab hides himself amongst the people and tells Jehoshaphat to, to wear his kingly garments, and that made him a target. The Lord spared him because the Lord did love him. Jehoshaphat does the same thing a little bit later on with one of Ahab's children, a guy named Joram. Jehoram or Joram, that's the same name. Joram. Uh, says to Jehoshaphat, you know, uh, we need to go fight Moab because they've got Ramoth Gilead and that belongs to us. And Jehoshaphat says the same thing to him as he said to, to his father. He says, I am as thou art. My people as thy people. My horses as your horses. They go down around the south of the the Dead Sea and into the desert they go. They're, they're about to die from thirst. There's no water. Those three kings that gathered together, they had no hope, but fortunately Elisha was there at that time for them, but he wouldn't have listened to him apart from uh, the fact that Jehoshaphat was there and he delivered them. But his alliance with Ahab in battle almost cost him his life. His alliance with Joram 
in battle almost cost him his whole his whole army. They have had another son, Ahaziah. He only reigned for a year because he fell through the lattices, remember? And, uh, and he made an alliance with him, also another unequal yoke, to go and make a commercial adventures. This time it cost him his ships. So he almost lost his life. He almost lost his army. He did lose his ships from his unequal yokes in battle and his unequal yokes in commercial things. But the worst of all that he did was he aligned himself in marriage. Marriage is such a wonderful thing. And we were talking about uh, marriage the other day, Thursday night, and I hope I we didn't leave any of you young men and women under the impression that you ought not to seek a wife. One of the young brothers, after the meeting, pointed out something that he should have pointed out during the meeting, but at least he pointed out after, that when it says he that findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, it involves seeking. Remember what the Lord said. Remember what God said. It's not good for man to live alone and seek your good wife. Pray about it. Be diligent in finding the one that will bless your life. But what did Jehoshaphat do? He decides to, in order to join the kingdoms better together, friendly things, let's make a marriage. I think it would be nice, he says to himself. I don't know. I don't know what he said, but uh, I imagine what he said to himself. Let's make an alliance. You have a nice daughter there, uh, Athaliah, and I've got my son here. is about to reign. Let's uh, join together. I mean, she could be queen. My son could be king, and uh, get along fine. Ahab had a curse on him. Remember what Elijah said to him. Every one of your male children, they're going to die. Those that die in the field, they'll be eaten by the birds. Those that die in the city, they're going to be eaten by the dogs. Your wife Jezebel, the dogs are going to lick her blood. He himself uh, was under that curse also. Do you know what Jehoshaphat did? He married into a curse. He married his son into a curse. Oh, how great a thing marriage is. It's been a blessing to me and so, so many others. And then I can see some others where what a catastrophe in their life it was. You know, there's uh, 
interesting thing about the Lord's genealogy, if you look at it in Matthew 1, you don't have to do it again. But if you look in that genealogy, you'll find that it speaks of Jotham. That's, uh, I guess I should have told you this already. Jotham is a little confusing because Jehoshaphat names his son Jotham. Ahab named his son Jotham also. It's even more confusing because after Ahaziah dies, uh, that's Jotham's older, Jotham's older brother, Jotham, the son of Jehoshaphat, names him after his brother-in-law. So we've got a lot of names that are kind of hard to sort out there. But anyway, so if you read in the genealogy of the Lord, it says, Jotham begat Uzziah. And what happened? There's three people missing there. Joseph's son was Ahaziah. Ahaziah begat Joash, the seven-year-old king. Joash begat Amaziah. And Amaziah begat Uzziah. So it's three, three generations skipped there. What a goof-up in the Bible, huh? What's that all about? When you find goof-ups, you always find there's a beautiful thing about them. I'll tell you what that's all about. We were to read in Exodus 20. Uh, it says in the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Ahab was the one who introduced idolatry officially to the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom. And he was visited to the third and the fourth generation because he hated God, we might say. He put God out of his life and introduced idolatry instead. So that third and fourth generation, Amaziah, Joash, Joash was a good king. That seven-year-old boy is a good king. Amaziah, Joash, and Ahaziah. No, I said the, the other order. Ahaziah, Joash, and Amaziah. Uh, they were struck, in, uh, struck out of the official genealogy of the Lord. Because they were descendants of the one who introduced idolatry into the kingdom of Israel. Well, the far-reaching effects of... Uh, sin. It's amazing how we can be blessed. Oh, and if we kick our feet against the pricks and resist God, it's equally amazing how things can go the opposite direction so bad. That's what happened to 
Amaziah's son, Uzziah. Uzziah was greatly blessed. He was, he was, uh, he was a good king. It says, uh, in fact, it says that he repaired his heart, I believe. It's one of the ones that repaired his heart. Um, and to serve the Lord. And he prospered. Every direction he went, he prospered. And uh, the Lord blessed him and enriched him. And then it tells us in Chronicles that it's not in, in the book of Kings, but it's in Chronicles that went into the temple of the Lord and wanted to offer incense. Uh, and went in. You know the story. And And there was the priest that stood up and others with him to tell him that this is not for you, O king, to do. What did he do? He had a chance. He had a moment. And he could have said, I was wrong. And walked out of there. But you read in the Bible that what happened instead of that, he was wroth. And while he was wroth, the leprosy started to come out right on his head. Oh, boy. How God can bless, and he did bless. They, uh, he, he did bless Isaiah so much. And he had prepared his heart to serve the Lord. But it tells us in Chronicles that when he was lifted up, and I think he had like the second longest reign of the king of, the, of all the kings of Judah, fifty-two years. Uh, and he started out, I think, at age sixteen, dies at sixty-seven, and uh, or something like that, and. I suspect that all this prosperity, everything that went so well, eventually got to him, went to his head. Probably late in his life, I don't know, maybe he was 63 or 4 or 5, uh, starts to think that I've got it all. And then he takes a step over his bounds and enters the priesthood, he thinks, and wants to offer incense, and the leprosy crumps up on his head. Out he goes into a separate house, and his son Jotham reigns in his, doesn't reign yet, he's a regent, which means he's in charge. He takes, he takes charge, uh, because this proud man Isaiah has been humbled. How the Lord can humble you and me. We should tread that. We 
you see any pride lifting up in our hearts, we should dread the possibility of what can happen next. Messiah was so blessed. One thing wrong. Gets it, lets it go to his head. And he gets humbled. Down into the house of the leper he goes. But he was a godly man. I suspect, I suspect it's not said, but I suspect he guided his son, Jotham. Uh, in the reigning of the kingdom. And Jotham was a fine king. Uh, Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah are all joined together. Those four kings. They're joined together because prophet Isaiah prophesied in the days of those kings. Three of the best kings of all the history of Israel, uh, or Judah, I should say. Three of the best kings of the history of Judah. Isaiah, Jotham, Hezekiah. And there in the midst of those three is the, one of the most ungodly of all kings. You know, spirituality is not inherited. God delights to bless in families. But if you haven't committed your soul to him, if you haven't made a commitment to con or consecrated your life to him, you could end up like David, like Ahaz. And sad to say, there are many, many children of true believers who have gone the way of Ahaz. May none of you be such. What does Ahaz do? First of all, because he's an ungodly person, he's not blessed. He is in deep, deep trouble. The northern, his neighbor to the north, Syria, wants to fight with him. And Syria joins with Israel to fight with, with, uh, with Ahaz. And they, Ahaz and his army are destroyed. It says 120,000 men of his army died one day. One day. 120,000 of them. And 200,000 are captured and taken away to Israel. 200,000. Naked. Impoverished. Hungry. Slaves. Fortunately, by the mercies of God, Prophet Oded comes and preaches to them, tells them, with your brethren, not to be your slaves, but your brothers, sisters in Christ. And those 200,000 get sent back home. But it tells us also in the same passage that many multitudes, exact, exact words, but 
many were captured and taken to to uh, Syria. So 200,000 that were, were captured as slaves for Israel, they returned. But the many slaves that were taken by the Syrians, they were not returned. Well, he has had a rough time. Tells us in Isaiah how that when he heard all about this, that the peoples, the people were moved like the trees in the wind. Terror of what was about to come upon them. Every soul was in distress. What deep, deep trouble Ahaz was in. And yet, you know, God would still desire to bless. And this is another point that I like to bring out. That God wants to bless you, even if you are resisting him. And so we read in chapter 7 of Isaiah that Isaiah was sent to him and told him to ask for a sign. Heaven above, earth below, waters. Ask any sign you want. Because, Isaiah tells him, these two firebrands, Syria and Israel, you don't need to worry about them. As far as Israel goes, another 65 years from now, they're not even going to be a people. That was, that was fulfilled. About 20 years later, they were carried away. Another 45 years into captivity, they lost all their identity. They weren't even a people. What does Ahaz say? Oh no, I'm not going to tempt the Lord by asking a sign. We're not necessarily called to ask for signs or put out the fleece, as the expression goes. The Lord occasionally does delight to let us know that he's there. And he does give us little signs from time to time that he's there and that he wants to bless. And Ahaz... He figured, well, God's not going to do this anyway, so I'm not going to ask him. God is able. He is able. Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, the son of one of the most ungodly kings, the only one to compete with Ahaz would be Manasseh, which was Hezekiah's son. Here he is between the two most ungodly kings of Israel, Ahaz and Manasseh. And I think Hezekiah is the one who finally got things right. Just about. So I want to read in about Hezekiah a little bit. Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. Chapter 30, if you want to look at it. Oh, uh, 29 is. Hezekiah 29, verse 3. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors. 
the house of the Lord and repaired them. It's nice to have a good start. This wasn't just a good start, though. Hezekiah was committed to doing this, and it was a lifetime thing. We'll see that. Verse 6, for our fathers have trespassed and done that which is evil in the eyes of the Lord. He recognized that the people had erred. This isn't quite as good as what Daniel said. Daniel said, we have erred. The Lord even went beyond that. He didn't say, we are, have erred, but in Psalms he speaks of taking upon our sins as his own. It's easier to say my dad sinned than I sinned. Uh, and so uh, Hezekiah does admit that they had gone wrong, though. Verse 10, Now it is in mine heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. Now notice, he doesn't say the Lord God of Judah. He has a sense that it's, he is the God of all Israel. He has a heart for all the people of God, just like Jehoshaphat did. And so then he goes on and verse chapter um, same chapter, verse 30. Moreover, Hezekiah the king and the princes commanded the Levites to sing praise unto the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness and they bowed their heads and worshiped. And Hezekiah answered and said, Now ye have consecrated yourselves unto the Lord. Come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of the Lord. And the congregation brought in sacrifices and thank offerings. And as many as were of a free heart burnt offering. You know, this commitment to the Lord, this opening of the doors of the house of God, it brought great joy and great worship. You know, Hezekiah, he would face some of the same problems as his father did. An overwhelming force coming against him. You see how a different reaction we get. Verse 34, but the priests were too few, so they could not flay all the burnt offerings. Wherefore, their brethren Levites did help them until the work was ended until the other priests had sanctified themselves. For the Levites were more upright in, in heart, sanctifying themselves than the priests. You know, sometimes the leadership of the people of God, it's just not going to work. Uh, you know, people of God, the children of God, have, have a heart. If they're true believers, they have a heart for the Lord and all it needs we brought out a little bit. The priests apparently didn't have their heart in it very much. They, they were too few because they hadn't sanctified themselves. Well, the Levites helped. 
Verse 36, And Hezekiah rejoiced in all the people that God had prepared the people for the thing was done suddenly. When God is in it, things can happen quickly. Chapter 30, And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel. For the king had taken counsel and his princes and all the congregation in Jerusalem to keep the Passover in the second month. But they could not keep it at that time because the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently. Neither had the people gathered themselves together at Jerusalem. So I now go about reading how Hezekiah in his efforts to serve the Lord joins all the people of God together. I say, I think Hezekiah got it right. He did not try to force the unity. It could not be forced. He did not count the people of God as enemies. They're not our enemies. They're brothers or sisters. He did not compromise. But he had a heart for all God's people, and he created a spiritual unity. Invited them to join in the Passover. Now, the story has been mentioned. We'll skip over most of it. Just pointing out how that everything was done, almost so much was done wrongly. I mean, wrong month. Priesthood wasn't doing their job. They had to get help from Levites. And then it turns out that people were coming that wanted to participate in the Passover, and they really were not qualified. They, um, they hadn't sanctified themselves. And so you find... In verse 18, for a multitude of the people, even many of Ephraim and Manasseh, Iskar and Zebulun had not cleansed themselves, yet did they eat the Passover otherwise than it was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Lord pardon everyone that, that prepareth his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. The Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. He didn't do it right. But the Lord saw a heart. And he honored the heart more than the procedure. And this is why I say we need to prepare our sanctify the Lord God. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. If only our hearts would be sanctified, everything else secondary. What a wonderful time that was. I sometimes wondered, sometimes wondered uh, why they didn't continue and have Passovers every year. They did, I think they did. Uh, it says in chapter 32, after these things and the establishment thereof, it was established. That there would be a Passover every year, and I think it was. But you know what? Uh, 
there's a big problem. Sennacherib comes. Now Hezekiah, he was in trouble. Sennacherib was a mighty force, overwhelming. He had the same problem that his dad had with an overwhelming force coming in. And he reacted a little differently. He spread the thing out before the Lord. He went to the source of the real source of strength. And we find that the Lord came in and destroyed down to the ground the mightiest of that invading army. Wonderful story. We don't have time to go into that. But uh, what a difference between those who did not prepare their heart to serve the Lord and those who have prepared it, those who have consecrated themselves. You know, some have criticized Hezekiah for asking for more time. Shouldn't have done it. Had 15 more years. And he goofed up in those last 15 years. Now, I want to read a verse in connection with that. Chapter 32, verse 23. Um, verse 24 in those days Hezekiah was sick to the death and prayed unto the Lord and he spake unto him and he gave him a sign but Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him for his heart was lifted up therefore there was wrath upon him upon Judah and Jerusalem I want to point out this there was nothing wrong for Hezekiah in asking for more time. Nothing wrong with that. But when the Lord answered his prayer, he was committed then to be different from then on. If the Lord does something for you, you are now indebted to him. It should change your life. If the Lord answers my prayer, I have to remember that and it has to affect my life from then on. That's what it says here. Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him. No criticism for asking for the time. But once he got his answer to prayer, he was responsible to have his life changed from then on. Instead, he got lifted up in pride. And then you know the rest of the story. It didn't work out so well. The Lord had a purpose of blessing. It tells us that Sennacherib came at the same time that he was sick. Hezekiah ruled 29 years. 15 years before that means 14 years into his reign. That's the same time that Sennacherib came. Imagine that. Here he is, he's been serving the Lord these 14 years, best he could, and uh, now he's sick, 
and he's just about ready to die, and an invading army is coming that he has no chance against, apart from God. All this happening at the same time, everything going wrong for him all at once. God had a purpose of blessing for him. He wanted him to ask for the extra time, and he wanted to bless him in that. And he wanted Hezekiah to respond and have a change of life as the result of his answer prayer. God has a purpose of blessing for you. I want to sing closing 340, I think it is. Father, we commend our spirit to our loving Jesus' name. Love which is atoning Of blessing for each one of us. Only well after thee, we pray that we each one might consecrate our hearts as days, sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts. And we pray that God help us and strengthen us to do that. We ask that blessing on us, each one. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. amen.